welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 119, verse 89, New International Version. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, New International Version I'm Victoria Kay, and today on Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books, we are continuing our discussion on the importance of the Bible today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., would you like to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. <laughs> oh, my kind of greeting, short and sweet. Oh, well, it means we can get going faster. For the last few weeks, we used one of our humor pieces to do a slightly longer introduction of Crystal Sea than R.D. did of himself again. But there are probably some listeners who didn't get a chance to hear those pieces. So we'd like to start today by listening to another humor segment Crystal Sea has produced just to tell you a little more about what we do. Hi, I'm R.D. from Crystal Sea. From Crystal Sea Books, that is. And I'm not famous. And neither is the long, tall drink of sparkling water with overpowering aftershave standing next to me. Crystal Sea Books, Electech Genius. Uh, Jerry. Absolutely, Jeremy. He's not famous either, but ever since we started doing these Crystal Sea Books audio ads, that short for advertisements, more people than ever, we're up to double digits now, have started to know about us. And some of them have some questions. For instance, Jeremy, no. here's one that asks, why don't you ever mention the name of your boss who's so famous? Do you want to take that one? Maybe because you have a problem with names. Well, well, maybe I better answer that one. Actually, the reason we don't just drop our boss's name everywhere is because Jeramundo and me... Dude, Jeramundo? Really? ...are just very careful people. Here, think about this. Our boss is the be-all and end-all. He's the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. And the middle and everywhere in between. He rocks the house so much that all of history is his story. Literally. Oh, no. Not with the literally again. In fact, in his book, he's known by over a hundred different names and titles. A hundred different names? You have a hard time with just one. 
So frankly, it would be hard for us to pick just one to use when we talk about him. That's why we started Crystal Sea Books, to remind everyone that when people say, It is what it is. The only reason they can say that is because he made everything that is. Or as one of his other employees said, He gives life and breath to everything. So what does Crystal Sea Books do? Well, for starters, we write books. Duh. But we also take the stories in those books and bring them to life with recordings that will transport you right into the middle of fierce battles with amazing beasts, onto cliffs staring out into rolling purple seas, or inside whirling torrents of fire. That's the only thing standing between you and hordes of attacking demons. Those are some awesome books. Awesome. And after we've amped you up with battles and blazes, we'll help you cool down with smooth music and sweet prayers. After all that, I need me some prayers. And we try to enjoy ourselves while we're transporting you to the places where the light was made and the stars were formed. Ooh, light the light. And demons are waiting to snatch you away. Hate the snatching. So even though we have a serious purpose, promoting our boss and all, Jerrylicious and I, uh, Jerry, and all of our other travel buds and baggage handlers, Victoria, here, Fitz, nice to meet you, Marcus here, want you to have fun on the journey. Are there snacks on the trip? I like animal crackers. And that's what our stories and books can help you and your traveling companions do. Help you suit up, power on, and get moving on your own trip to the stars. After all, any trip is easier if you have a guide. And who's a better guide to the stars than the one who actually made them? Literally. Jeepers, what do I have to do? So go to crystalseabooks.com and get moving. We have all kinds of ways to get you started. Links to our stories, exciting scenes from our audiobooks, epic poems, songs, a brilliantly bountiful blog that is written by another of our team members, Darlene. CrystalCBooks.com will not only stamp your ticket, it will put you on the ride. So take it from Jer Bear. Whoa, whoa, Jer Bear? What? Me, RD, and the whole Crystal Sea Ramp crew. Visit CrystalCBooks.com where we're, we're not famous, famous but, but our, our boss is. is. Obviously, you and Jerry really have entirely too much fun with each other. Literally. Is it really like that when you're working on pieces together? Yes, literally. Oh my, we're in for it today. All right then. In the humor segment, you are emphasizing that God made everything and sustains everything through his power. We learned that from the Bible. Well, last week... We talked about what inerrancy, infallibility, and inspiration mean. But a big question that we didn't get into last week is which version of the Bible is the correct one, because there are lots of different versions that have been produced throughout the ages. Well, of course, there are a lot of different versions of the Bible that are in existence today. The New International Version, the New American Standard Bible, King James Version, the New King James Version, the English Standard Bible. 
There are a lot of versions that are in existence, and there are both paraphrases, which are thought-for-thought translations of the Bible, and then there are the translations, which are the word-for-word translations. But the doctrine of inspiration means that we believe that the original writings that were produced by the biblical writer, whichever writer it was, that those versions were the ones that were inspired. And those original versions are frequently termed autographer or the autographs. So the idea is that at one point in human history, God communicated with an individual human writer, and that human writer made a record of the communication that he received from God, as well as the other items that he was inspired to record. So the doctrine of inspiration refers only to the original writings and not to any specific version of the Bible. So the autographs are the records or recordings that we consider to be inspired. How were those records created? Or in other words, how did God give his word to the original writers? That's a very good question, because actually God used a wide variety of means to communicate, not only with the people who wrote the Bible, but with other people in Bible history. So let's just start with thinking about God's original communications to Adam and Eve. In the book of Genesis, it said that God was accustomed to walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. So the implication there is that Adam probably had some form of face-to-face contact with God. This face-to-face contact was replicated in Moses' experience because the book of Exodus records the fact that Moses was accustomed to going into the tabernacle and speaking with God, in effect, what would have been face-to-face. Now, of course, when we say face-to-face, you have to remember that applying the term face to God is an anthropomorphism. In other words, it's implying that God has a human characteristic that he doesn't actually possess. Regardless of which form of communication God used, eventually the people or the person with whom God was communicating had to reduce that communication to a written record of some form. The first written records used to codify the Bible were probably clay tablets on which inscriptions were made because that was the original form of writing that was known in the Middle East. Later on, the invention of more paper-like materials came about. There was papyrus common in Egypt. There were skins of animals that were used and prepared so they would be suitable for writing. And we developed various forms of writing instruments. So there was a variety of means by which God actually made his communication to the biblical writers. And there was also a variety of ancient writing forms that those writers used to record them. That's the records that we refer to when we talk about inspiration having been used to prepare the records. This whole subject is something that is rarely discussed. But if we want to be able to really understand God's Word, the Bible, it is important to know how it came into being. You say that an awareness of the inspiration of the Bible led to a process of dedication, concentration, systemization, and therefore preservation of the Old Testament. What do you mean by each of those? Let's just start with dedication. It's a little bit hard for people in the Western culture today to understand the role that faith played in ancient Israel in the biblical times. 
Today, we sort of regard religion, faith as a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. We're very proud of the freedom that we have to either believe or not believe, worship or not worship, read the Bible or not read the Bible, or any other book that's considered to be sacred. The ancient Hebrews were quite aware that they were the chosen nation. They were very aware that God had selected them for a very specific role in redemptive history. And they made their faith the center of the life in their communities. The synagogue was the community center, was the main point of contact, was the central part of community life. The synagogue was very, very important to the villages, the towns in Israel, unlike what churches are today. Similarly, the temple was the center of national life and to some degree the center of their national identity. The Old Testament Hebrews and Jews were very aware of the faith. They were very aware of their special role. And while they didn't always honor that role with obedience and with appropriate worship, even the times when they lapsed into idolatry, there was still an awareness that their faith was the central identifying aspect of their culture. So when I think about the dedication of the ancient Hebrews to the Word of God, to the scriptures that they had, what we would call today the Old Testament, dedication is actually probably a mild word. They were intensely aware that the scriptures were an essential part of their national identity. And again, it's a little bit hard for those of us in contemporary culture to understand that level of dedication. But remember, that there are many times in books of the Old Testament where you'll see the phrase, thus saith the Lord, or the word of God came to one prophet or another. When the prophet made the record, he included the fact that there was a specific, distinct communication that was coming from God. And of course, as each new communication was received by an authenticated prophet, then the Hebrew people knew that over time they were accumulating a body of Scripture It started, of course, with the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah. But as time went by, additional books were added. I think it's important to understand that just because the communication was ultimately recorded does not necessarily mean that that was the first form in which the communication was received. There were probably times when there were oral traditions that were passed down until someone ultimately made a permanent record, or at least the record of the time that they had, whether it was a clay tablet on papyrus or parchment or whatever it might have been. And most scholars believe that there were periods when probably one or more scholars sat down and aggregated the collection of materials that they had at the time and brought those more or less into the form that we're familiar with today. Many people think that Ezra was a scribe who, after the Babylonian captivity, aggregated a lot of the records and might have produced the books of Chronicles or the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Some people believe that Ezra might even have played a larger role in bringing together all the records. But the fact that someone sat down at a later date and amalgamated, aggregated those records and produced a collection in the form that we know today, does not mean that that was the point of creation of those records. That was only the point at which the organization and production of the more familiar record to us actually occurred. So life in ancient Israel revolved around their faith, and the people in the Jewish community of that time knew that they were the custodians of God's revelation. 
So you say that this dedication to their faith and scriptures produced a degree of concentration upon the scriptures that would be uncommon today. Exactly. Again, you know, today faith and religion have been so separated from many people's everyday lives that we take way too often a lackadaisical attitude about their importance. But that does not mean that people today don't have intense concentration on focus on certain things. For instance, a financial analyst on Wall Street will sit down and scrutinize earning reports and sales reports and production reports and statistics from the government and economic indicators. And financial analysts will spend a huge amount of time, not just 40 hours a week, but sometimes 100 hours a week, performing analysis that they deem to be essential to their role in life. We have areas in our common life today where people focus an intense amount of concentration, energy, and effort. It's just that it's rare in our culture for that kind of energy and effort to be put into our faith or into an awareness or understanding of the scriptures. But of course, in biblical times, not only didn't they have the level of distraction that we do today, but as we've noted, they were very much aware that they had been entrusted by God with a special role. So the same degree of concentration that's applied in secular world today in a variety of pursuits, that same degree of concentration would have been present in the Hebrew time, especially among the priestly class. There came a time when, as they began to reproduce the copies of the scriptures that were around, There came a time when that task was assigned to particular people, and those people would have had the task of copying the scriptures as their job, as their role, as their profession, in much the same way that a modern financial analyst or sports analyst or personal trainer, in much the same way that those people practice their profession, the ancient Hebrew copyists would have practiced their profession and that of replicating, making copies of the scriptures using the tools that they had available. So, all this concentration, this focus on the scriptures meant that as time progressed, the Jews developed specific systems for ensuring that when the scriptures were copied, they were copied precisely. What were some of the elements of these systems? Well, for anyone who's interested in this topic, I would really encourage them to go to josh.org, J-O-S-H dot org, and look at an article written by Josh McDowell specifically on the transmission of the text of the Old Testament. It's a great article, and it contains a lot more detail than we can get into today. But just as a few general points, eventually there came a time when there was a class of scholars called the Sophrim who were tasked with reproducing or copying the Hebrew Scriptures. Many scholars believe that the Sophrim were probably of priestly descent. As many people know that within the ancient 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi was set aside to be the priest to the nation. So it's likely that the Sophrim were generally drawn from the tribe of Levi, and they were of priestly descent. And that's important because the tribe of Levi and the men who were from that tribe would have had special training from early in their lives about the sacred tasks that they might someday be required to perform. So if and when they were, they were selected to become a part of the group that was allowed to copy the scriptures, they would not have regarded this as a menial or a mundane task. They would have regarded that as being a special and important task. 
today because we have so many different ways of reproducing written text, either through copying machines or pictures on our cell phones or various kinds of recording devices. We tend to think of copying as mundane and a task that does not have much importance attached to it, but that was not the case in those days. The people who were permitted to do this would have felt that it was a very important task for them. The scribes who prepared the copies did not work on what we might call the entire Old Testament. They would have specialized in certain portions of it. And during their lifetimes, they probably copied them so much that they quite literally would have had every word of their portion of the scriptures memorized. But even though they would have had the texts available from their memory, they were not permitted to copy the text without having a specific manuscript, which was called a vorlage, in front of them. There were a lot of rules that were developed, and that's why I call it systemization. There were a lot of rules developed to ensure that they guided the copying precisely, even to the point of assigning specific margins uh, from the pages or specific spacing between the words. They would pick out the middle letter of a particular page and ensure that the number of characters that were copied up to that point matched precisely and the number of characters copied after that matched precisely. There even came a time when the people who did the copying were required to be freshly bathed before they could make the copies, and only the skins of clean animals, if they were being used as the writing surface, were allowed to be used. Now, clean here is the matter of being ceremonially or ritually clean, not the matter of simply not having any dirt on it. So there was this whole systemization of the process for producing copies of the scriptures that was meticulously adhered to. And just because a copyist was doing his work somewhere in a large room doesn't mean that they were doing it without supervision. I tend to sort of think at the head of the room, somewhere sitting up there on a raised dais, there was probably somebody like a Jedi copy master. Jedi copy master? Looking over all of the work that was being done and probably noticing when somebody wasn't being attentive or paying attention. There was more fanatical focus on ensuring that this task preparing very precise copies of the scriptures, there was more focus on that at that time. There was more of a systemization to that than we can possibly imagine today. Is there any evidence that these rules and protocols were successful at preserving the accuracy of the text? Well, actually, there are some remarkable examples, but I'd just like to cite one today in the little bit of time that we have left. The Dead Sea Scrolls were probably the most amazing archaeological find of the 20th century, and they've been widely reported. In 1947, a Bedouin boy was exploring some hills not too far from Jerusalem, stumbled across some caves, and in the caves found the first of the manuscripts that would come to be known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Up until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, the oldest Hebrew text of the Old Testament was the Masoretic Aleppo Codex, which dated to about 935 A.D. Well, with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they now found a variety of manuscripts that predated the Masoretic text by over a thousand years. And one of the most remarkable finds, for instance, was what's called the Isaiah Scroll. The Dead Sea Scrolls included one scroll that was essentially a complete copy of the entire book of Isaiah. So, of course, now scholars had the opportunity to compare an Isaiah scroll that was from the 1st or 2nd century B.C. to the text of the book of Isaiah that was in the Masoretic Aleppo Codex, a gap of almost a thousand years. 
And what they discovered when they made the comparison was that the difference between the texts that had spanned over a thousand years was essentially negligible. One of the most respected Old Testament scholars in the 20th century was a gentleman named Dr. Gleason Archer. And I'm going to quote from him about his findings about the comparison of the Isaiah scrolls. This is Dr. Gleason Archer speaking. Even though the two copies of Isaiah discovered in Qumran Cave 1 near the Dead Sea in 1947 were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript previously known, A.D. 980, they proved to be word-for-word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% of variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. So here you have a remarkable example of the accuracy of the preservation of the Old Testament text. In one fell swoop, the scholars were able to go back almost a thousand years, and literally with one single archaeological discovery, they were able to go back a thousand years and verify that all that effort that the Hebrews had put into ensuring that they made virtually perfect copies of their text, that effort actually yielded the desired result, which was that the text of the Bible, as it was transmitted through the ages, was preserved very nearly identically to that that which was originally delivered to the original biblical writer. Sounds to me like a good time for a prayer. Today's prayer comes from another one of Crystal Sea Book's offerings, the book Purposeful Prayers. Today's prayer is on the adoration of the Holy Spirit. A Prayer of Adoration of the Holy Spirit Great and mighty God, you are the searcher of men's hearts and the only true joy for their souls. We worship gladly the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you rule and reign with the Father and the Son. When the Son completed his work and ascended to the Father, you came to be our comforter, instructor, and advocate. You came to take away our spiritual blindness and to make us alive to things of God. At Pentecost, you affirmed your presence in the world and established your dominion in the hearts of those who belong to the Son. Praise be to the one who tells us the truth about Jesus and who strengthens us against the forces of powers of wickedness that attack us in our humanity. Left to ourselves, we could never stand against the wiles of the evil one, but in you, we have victory. For greater are you than Satan who is in the world. You are worthy of exaltation and adoration, for you are fully God and Lord. You regenerate our hearts and bring light to our minds. Since you fully possess all knowledge and wisdom, you are the supreme teacher who not only imparts wisdom, but also gives us the capacity to absorb and understand that which you teach. Lord, We pray that we would be sensitive to your leading, and we praise you for being the faithful minister to our souls. Time and time again, you have gone before us to find the path that we should travel. You have never left us, even in those times we have grieved you or resisted your work. Finite man cannot fully comprehend the wondrous relationship that is shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We know that the three persons of the Holy Trinity are perfect in unity, holiness, and beauty. We marvel at the grace manifested to us by the Father's sending, the Son's coming, and the Spirit's abiding. Surely such love deserves the response of full dedication to the one who first loved us, and we pray that such commitment might mark our lives. We lift our voices in songs of adoration and with the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is our God and worthy to be praised. We bow before the light of our lives, the Lord of the universe, the Lamb of God. In Christ's precious name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.